This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Remember, always be closing. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Nicole Kingsley Brenner. Nicole is the CMO of Manning and Napier. She has helped the firm grow from around $6 billion of assets under management when she started to more than $20 billion under management today. On this episode, Nicole talks about some of the unique challenges of financial services marketing, how she has been able to thrive in the industry, and how she was able to turn marketing from a cost center to a revenue generator. Just one technical note, apologies in advance for the sound quality. We had a slight microphone issue, so you hear a little more distortion than usual. These things do happen, but the interview is great. So please enjoy this episode of Marketing Trends with Nicole Kingsley Brenner. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at mission.org. On both from the other line, we have two remote guests. We're doing this from all over the country. In San Francisco, Lauren Vaccarello, what's going on? Not much. Hey, Ian, how's it going? Things are good, but I'm really curious how things are in very wintry and very cold Rochester, New York. Nicole, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me, Ian and Lauren. So we're going to talk about today financial services, what it, be, what it means to be a Finns marketer, your background. You've spent an incredible seven years at Manning & Napier working your way up from a tiny marketing team to being CMO and what that process has been like. So we'd love to get deep into that, talk about how we're going to turn marketing into a revenue generator, do some thought leadership, content marketing in our lightning round. So let's get into it. First, how'd you get started in marketing? Well, first, it hasn't been seven years. It's actually been almost 17 years. I'd like to think that I'm only seven years into this, but uh, it's been- <laughs> Oh, about- I misspoke. I've been 17. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. 17 years. Um, so I started here at Manning in 2002. Uh, we managed about $6 billion in assets under management. And here we are 17 years later, and we're at about $20 billion in assets under management. Wow. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, It's been a fun ride. You know, a lot's changed in uh, the marketing world in the last 17 years and a lot's changed for our firm. But, you know, what our focus has always been on our client and that client experience. and, And that hasn't changed at all. And tell me, what's it like 17 years there? What have you seen in marketing your role? You've had a lot of different roles. It's changed over time. I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, thanks. So um, it has changed a lot. When I started, you know, financial services and marketing is kind of tough. It really hasn't grown in popularity. This industry is kind of slow to adopt technology. So marketing in 2002 was putting together pitch books, was updating fact sheets, was really fulfillment center. And I was hired uh, as the first PR person that the firm ever had. And by PR, that meant they thought that I could just call a reporter and that reporter would write a story about us. So I'm like, okay, uh, it doesn't really work like that. So, so early on, I really realized that there was a lot of education that we needed to do here. And while the firm was growing, it really kind of afforded me the opportunity to, to grow myself, um, my skills, and, and to build a great team. And, you know, I'm a kind of curious person by nature. And so I would say, hey, let's try this. Let's see if we can do this. And the people here have been great in allowing me the opportunity to really explore and try new things. So we went from PR and uh, fulfillment and we still do fact sheets and we still do PR, but we do a lot more. And the kind of adoption of Salesforce for us was really a game changer. We, we adopted Salesforce and uh, Pardot back in 2014, 2015. And that's when I was really able to kind of pick things up and, and move the ball forward here. 
Yeah. What was the, what's like the scope of your responsibilities? Like what is kind of the size of the team now? What types of things are you working on? And, and really what's the, what is the unique challenges of being in financial services? Yeah. So my team involves everything from uh, design, web design, print design, advertising, some SEO, marketing automation, email marketing, digital, video, a, a lot of content development. And then, you know, some of that stuff that we all have to do, compliance in this industry is a big deal. And so making sure that we have disclosures and we understand what we can and cannot say, that some of that's in my team as well. And how, how do you get to have that degree of creativity and campaigns and imagination also when having all of the disclosures and all of the the work that you also have to put in being a, you know, in a highly regulated industry? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's something that some people have a hard time when they come from a different industry to really get their head around that. I look at it as a challenge. I have been here long enough that I know the rules. If you are in doubt that you can't promise something to someone, then you err on the side of caution. But, you know, I think the trend um, that you've seen across industries and not just in the financial services is transparency. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for people to understand what they are receiving when they are you know, signing on to work with you. We manage people's money. I'm not selling somebody a pair of shoes. If mm -hmm. you have worked your whole life to earn that money and you want to retire with, you know, some sense of dignity and, and you want to do something fun and you want to travel or you want to leave a legacy to your children, that's a major responsibility that you're entrusting us with. And we need to make sure that you understand what you're going to get when you work with us. And so that transparency is really key. How do you think transparency changes when it comes to, like, we've seen, you know, this year in the Super Bowl, I think ads are probably the least interesting, you know, kind of commentary around stuff like that. You see the change from like pure kind of the advertising stuff into some of the more, you know, dynamic digital media or things like that. How do you see like transparency changing as we, as we look at um, the differences in that and specifically around email communication? Because I think, you know, with tools like Pardot, obviously you can be so much more dynamic with how you communicate with people and you can be transparent in a way that you really weren't able to do, especially back in, you know, 2002. Right, right. You know, I think it's important to be, you know, authentic and, and honest and true to who you are, who your brand represents, what your brand represents. We really think about our customer experience and we want to make sure that that customer experience is true and true from the beginning of that relationship, which sometimes is, is an email and sometimes that is a, a LinkedIn post or you know, it's an event that they attend. We want to make sure that that experience that they have with us is going to be the same experience that they're going to have with us as a client and making sure the tone of those emails, the visuals that we use, it's all super consistent because like I say, it's this is a relationship that we're building with these clients. We hope this relationship lasts a long time and we, we take our responsibility to manage their money really, really seriously. So... Switching gears a little bit to the, you know, marketing as a revenue generator. I think that this is something that, you know, a lot of our listeners aspire to be, right? Like we all want to be closer to the revenue because there's obviously a, well, not all of us, but there's this sense that it, the closer you are, the, the bigger your seat is at the table. You know, for example, how have you kind of changed the mindset from marketing being as, you know, associated with a cost center towards, you know, being a more ROI producing revenue generating function? Yeah. For me, I've worked really closely with our sales teams, um, the individual people on those sales teams, as well as the sales management and showing them that I have some tools that can make them more efficient. I have some tools that can help them identify some leads. And, you know, you hand off a couple of leads to somebody that didn't have to work for them. Suddenly you start to have some more friends and sales, you, you know, and you start to prove that there's there's a real opportunity here to really partner to help the whole organization. So that's really what, what we've been focused on. And again, Pardot's been that tool that's really been awesome for us. We implemented that in 2014 before we actually purchased Salesforce. 
And up until that point, you could definitely say we were just a cost center. And I don't mean that as just a cost center, but it, but I didn't have any I didn't have any real metrics other than the number of pitch books that we produced and what money came in from those those meetings to really show what what we were doing. Once you put something like Parda in place and you say, you know, we hosted this webinar and we posted that on social and we pulled in some cold leads from that. And then we've created these nurture campaigns where we're trying to listen digitally to what our prospects are looking for. And we're giving them tools. We're helping to educate them. We're helping to build awareness and credibility of who we are and what we can do for those clients. And that then we really get to a point where we believe that they're qualified, they've engaged and, and they've shown interest in what we have to offer. And then you hand that off to sales in the form of a, a meeting. And, you know, that's that's pretty rewarding and that's a pretty significant contribution. But that's, you know, that's kind of what we we've been really testing more and more of. And it's and it's proving to to work. You know, we actually had a prospect the other day who said, I was amazed that you were sending me things that you knew I would be interested in. Well, isn't that like, isn't that what everybody expects nowadays? It's when you receive something that you, that's out of the blue and has nothing to do with you, that you're frustrated. And that's, we have to be mindful of the experience that our clients are having outside of our organization, the expectations they have for the companies that they work with. And those expectations, they expect, you know, a response quickly. They want what they want when they want it. And we we all have to kind of up our service to support to support those needs those expectations i love that i mean how how do you think that we spam people less or how do you look at spamming people less because i think that you know part of the the challenge is we just there's obviously more content being created than ever before but there's still so many people that or of course there are but there's so many people that are looking for relevant content they're looking for relevant things that make their lives better. How do you look at that? Yeah. So we have a meeting every Monday morning and we go through our calendar and we look at the list that we're going to send and the content that we have in the queue because we are very, very conscious of not wanting to spam anybody. We want to make sure that this is information that people want to receive because we don't want them to opt out and we certainly don't want them to mark us as spam. So we're very, very cognizant of what we're sending and who we're sending it to. And we're using, you know, forms to really profile people better so that we can hear from them directly what information they want. We're not making a lot of assumptions. They're telling us what they want. And they're either telling that us that by the forms and the information that they're completing or by their behavior. And we're able to look at that behavior and then make modifications to what we're doing based on that behavior. So... When you're talking to you know other executives or in board meetings about the type of results that you're seeing, what are the ways that you're pitching that stuff internally to to show the success that you've been having? How do you position you know when you go back and ask for more budget or more things, or you know if you want to run some crazy experiments? How are you kind of you know bringing that information to executives and getting buy-in? Yeah. So you have to remember, I started in PR, right? So I'm pretty good at telling a story about how great my team is and the work that we're doing. And, you know, uh, it's shameless self-promotion. You know, I think that in this industry, the, the bar is still pretty low. I think that some of the stuff that we're doing, especially for, you know, this little firm in Rochester, is pretty cool. And my team's pretty excited about all the 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 success that we're having. So I tell a lot of stories. I tell our CEO and our CFO the things that we're doing and what the feedback is from the clients or what our experience is, what's working, what's not working. What in a nurture campaign, I was surprised to see that somebody responded to that I never thought they would have. And, you know, this is usually an industry of analytical people. So the data helps sell that. That's really what I've looked at. You know, I like to tell a story. I work with salespeople. So they kind of engage with a story. And then I work with an analytical group and I need to give them the numbers to prove my points. So that's how I, I pitch it. Does it always work? Not always, but I think I, I have a pretty good track record and I've built a pretty good sense of credibility and trust here. 
And do you share some of those insights? I mean, some of the things that you're talking about of, hey, people are consuming this or people are asking for this, like some of those, the bottom up refinement from customers, that customer, you know, development type, you know, questions that you're asking, how do you share that internally? Like, are you informing the leadership team? Like, hey, people are actually, I, I'm sure like mobile example, for example, I'm sure is a huge thing, right? Like, are you actually informing leadership of things that they didn't know about the customers themselves potentially? Yeah, sometimes we are. Sometimes they are surprised. Sometimes our sales team will say something like, I don't think these client type would, uh, this client type would be interested in something like that. And, and I say, let me test it. Let's try it. And we do A-B tests. We we try different things, you know, um, with high net worth individuals, you don't really expect them to join a webinar at one o'clock in the afternoon because maybe they're working or maybe they're traveling or whatever. But we tried it last year and we actually had a lot of success around it. And so, you know, it's a good opportunity to, again, like partner with the the different teams. In my case, it's it's sales usually to say, what are you trying to learn more about? And can I help you learn more about your client? And, and sometimes, you know, those forms, it's again, I can tell them, I'm like, did you know that a majority of these clients sit on a non-for-profit board? Maybe we should be talking to them about our endowment and foundation service, not just about our ability to manage money for them as an individual, but to manage money for their institutions that they are involved with too. And so that's an aha moment where we think about, okay, how can we cross sell or how can we cross promote some of our services? It's a lot of collaboration. It really is because I learned from them, the sales team, you know, what kind of questions they want to know before they do a meeting with a client or a prospect. What is it that they would be helpful for them when they go in and sit down to know ahead of time so that they don't, have to spend that time kind of warming that person up that I can give it to them before that, before that point in time. So do you, you know, you do a lot of this thought leadership and, and webinars and, and also you do, you know, some content marketing. How do you differentiate? Because I think, you know, especially in the world of financial services where a lot of these companies have been around for so long, there's like brand name recognition for years and years. How do you distinguish, you know, yourself from, from those folks and how do you create engaging content around those kind of differences that make you unique? Yeah. So I am kind of on a crusade for clarity. This is an industry where things are complex and it can be pretty intimidating to somebody who's not familiar with the concepts, the different investing terms, or even just some of the products that are being used nowadays. So I think about our first job as being clear and delivering content that can help educate someone because if they feel like they're learning something from you and they don't feel stupider for not understanding what you're sending them, then you're on the right path forward, right? If we aren't clear in our communication, then we're failing our audience. And so we have to constantly be looking at ways to keep things clear. And sometimes that's using visuals. Sometimes that's, you know, webinar where we can have kind of an open forum and asking questions and have a dialogue. But we really take the time to look at it and say, from a readership perspective, are they going to understand this? There's a lot of jargon in this industry that just goes over people's heads or you kind of see their eyes glaze over. And nobody wants to work with somebody where they don't understand what they've bought or, or what their, you know, what their goals are and how, how we're going to help them meet those goals with these tools. So, I mean, I think there's just so much confusing language. I mean, this is just there. And jargon is just such a great, we could do a whole podcast just on jargon. Um, <laughs> I mean, when we talked about it a little bit when we did in the episode around international marketing and how like, you know, different colloquialisms and, and how different cultures mean different things and how it's a huge challenge for marketers. But I think it's a really interesting point about jargon because most people don't know what, whatever, name a financial acronym. An ETF, right? So they hear ETF and they're like, does that mean electronic, exchange traded? Like these are words that are used all the time on CNBC and in, you know, different communications, different 
ways that people are consuming information, but you can't assume that somebody understands it. Maybe they know what that acronym stands for. They still don't necessarily understand how it would be used or how they would use it in their portfolio. Even mutual funds, there's different mutual funds, hedge funds, all sorts of things that people are like, how do these things work? You know, and there's an opportunity to educate people because I think right now more and more information is available to consumers. 20, 30 years ago in this industry, you didn't have as much information. There weren't, you know, the the access to information like there is now. And consumers can now educate themselves more. And so if we can help educate them and make them understand what we can do to help them reach their goal, then hopefully we're, we're starting to build a good relationship there. I mean, do you have personas around that stuff? I mean, I would imagine that the persona of someone who is going to go, you know, sit in a webinar versus someone who clicks around and has opened 35 different documents on your website versus someone like the researcher persona and the, I just want this all explained to me, you know, in layman's terms, or I just want to talk to a CFA personally. Like I, this needs to be directly to me. Like I know other people have other money and they do their stuff their way, but my, my situation is different. I mean, how, do you look at, you know, personas in that way or is, or is it by like, you know, asset class or what? So we start with, we serve a variety of different client types. We work with high net worth individuals. We work with financial advisors. We work with some consultants. We work with a Taft-Hartley or a union, you know, trustee. So they all are going to think about things differently. And we need to build out kind of a, like you say, a persona around those different audience types. But even even that changes, you know, right now, what we're finding on some of our profiling is that we're finding a lot of prospects who are using our content and they've been managing their money themselves. And so they're at a point in their life where they're starting to get nervous about kind of how much wealth they've accumulated and we're about 10 years into a bull market here. And so they're a little nervous as to if you have some volatility or a pullback, are they prepared to, to really manage that money themselves still? It's, it's you know, at such a level that if they lose money or they make a bad decision, it could be really meaningful in terms of their ability to retire when they want to retire or do whatever it is that they want to do with that money. So that to me is like, we're starting to even have personas within personas. You, you know, you got to keep yeah. that layering going. And so how do you create, and do you create like personalized journeys for all of those folks? Like, is that, are you sharing them all, you know, little pieces of content along their kind of journey? I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting right now is how, because just everything is out there that people don't necessarily follow all of those journeys specifically, but if you do, but there are a lot of people who do want to be on that path. So like, how are you kind of creating those journeys for buyers? Yeah, we have to we have to be selective, right? I I have a limited team, but we are focused on a couple areas in creating those journeys and those paths. But again, like we're testing all that all the time. What's working, what's not working? Where is somebody not following? Where where do they disengage? I can't create a journey for every persona and every sub persona, if you will, but we do have kind of a high net worth journey, a journey for more of an institutional investor because they're, they're going to consume information differently and they're going to want different kinds of information, a high net worth, you know, they're going to want that feeling of trust and security and, and all of those things in understanding of what we're doing and maybe the fee transparency, what they're what they're going to get for the fee that they're paying. Whereas an institutional investor, they're going to dig in on some really, you know, intense statistics. They're going to look at a variety of different markets. They're going to look at attribution, what's contributing and detracting from your performance. I don't want to send that to an individual because that individual is going to disengage. They, they may not yeah. want to dig that deep. And so, you know, that's part of that digital listening that that we're we're testing and we're doing all the time because you have to you don't want to lose somebody because you made a you know a bad mistake or a decision to send them something that maybe if you think about it you really you really should have been more mindful about or if it's just not the right time right like there's right. you know sending stuff like i think like the ira stuff is a really interesting thing because it's something where you can make a contribution throughout the entire, this is completely anecdotal, but um, it's something that you could make a contribution 
throughout the entire year, technically, but you have that time before you submit your taxes where it's like actually time sensitive, right? So it's like, how many times do you want to, you know, beat that into somebody's head of like, you know, you got to do this. Like how many reminders do we get to do our taxes by like 50 million different email? It's like, I know, like the whole world knows it's, (laughs) it's April 15th. I'm I'm still going to file an extension, but you know, I know that it's April 15th. Right, right. No, I mean, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly true. You, you gotta just think about the right timing. We started to create some like longer journeys. So maybe somebody's engaging with something right now, and they're interested and they're consuming information. But now might not be the right time. Maybe they just paid their quarterly fee. And they're like, well, I'm not going to fire my manager now. I just paid my fee. I'm going to see how they perform. You, You know, you get some volatility in this market and people start to get nervous. This is an industry that is highly emotional. People get very emotional about their money, rightfully so. And so you start to get some volatility and suddenly more people are reading your emails. You, you know, they want to they wanna see what you have to say about what's going on and what risks you, you think there, there are and how, how to manage that risk. I mean, you know, it's funny though. I, there's so much emotion in, in a lot of business and B2B journeys. There's a lot of emotion in that stuff too, because there's, you know, next quarter is coming or, you know, end of year, things like that. Sometimes with like, you know, the B2C stuff, a lot of times, you know, if you're buying something, there might not be, you know, maybe you're, it's Valentine's Day coming up or whatever. But, you know, whatever, whatever that kind of trigger moment is, but in B2B, there's, all, there's almost a lot of emotion in every kind of thing. Lauren, from your experience, how have you leveraged emotion in, in some of the companies that you've worked at? And it's interesting. And with, with this whole idea of emotion, especially on the B2B side, which I think is only even more heightened with, with the financial vertical because the emotion for the buyer in a lot of ways is directly related to their livelihood. And it's similar on the, the B2B side. And one of the things I've always sort of talked about and instilled in people in my teams are, you know, when you are going in and you're marketing to someone for potentially a six-figure deal, this could be, if this doesn't work, this could end up being their job or their career. So you need to make sure that we are marketing and we're selling something that we believe in and we, we can deliver on. And we know that going in, especially for a large purchase, that the, the buyer on the other side is likely going through a lot of this. Is this the right product? What am I doing? This is why the evaluation is so, so intense for bigger deals and even for some mid-sized deals too. And honestly, as a marketer, we need to think about what are we doing to instill, to instill that sense of trust with potential buyers? Because it's that sense of trust and belief that what you are what you are selling, what you are marketing, is actually going to deliver on needs and is going to work and is going to make the buyer ideally look good is something we need to make sure gets communicated. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, it. Yeah. Well, Lauren's finally back from uh, from being muted for the last uh, for the last twenty minutes. So she was literally screaming into the microphone, and uh, the oh, entire time was like. Everyone hates me. <laughs> oh no! I was like, "Why does everyone keep interrupting me?" I guess I won't say anything. And then I realized I was on mute. <laughs> it's it's great because you think we're gonna cut this, but we totally might leave it in. Lauren um, <laughs> was oddly silent. She's never silent. I know. That's why I was like, I was like, man, she must just really like my questions. I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were great questions. Hey, you know, I do what I can. All right, let's switch gears into um, some of the just general marketing and career questions. Lauren, you want to want to do these? Sure. I and Nicole, you've transitioned from a lot of the the PR comm side to CMO, which is a really amazing transition and growth for for you for your career. And it's such a great example to have someone who's been at the same company for so long. And we've talked about this in previous episodes of how short the tenure of a marketer is at different companies. And so based on all that, I've got a couple of questions. One, what do you wish you knew early on in your marketing career? Hmm. That's a good question. I guess uh, how how uh, skeptical people are of marketers is, would be a good thing um, for me to have known. I stand behind the things that I say, the product I deliver, but I know that others think that I'm maybe full of hot air. So I think that would have been something that maybe 
maybe a, a younger, uh, less experienced Nicole could have appreciated a while ago. Can I, I'm going to add on to that. This is something that in any revenue generating function that is really good advice is the way around that, like you need to know that early on that people are skeptical of marketers. And one of the ways that you can combat that is to go work for a company that you would actually use their product or you do use their product. Yep. I think a lot of people feel inauthentic when they don't, when they're selling something that they like don't understand or don't whatever. And obviously, you know, like if you're working for Lockheed Martin or something, shout out, shout out to Lockheed, but uh, you know, you're not, you know, creating a missile or something like that. Right. I, I, I get that. But for a lot of people, I think that, you know, they just don't feel like they, that they kind of jive with the product and it's super hard to market a product that you don't believe in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can tell you I'm invested in our products. My retirement is with our firm. You know, I'm, I'm invested in other products outside of my retirement. And I think that that is that is a big deal. And that goes back to really feeling like you can deliver on that promise, that brand promise that you're messaging around. And I feel like I can stand behind that because I've put my own money behind that. Yeah, and we're not, we are not going to ask you what you're invested in. That is not allowed on this show. I just want our listeners to know. I would ask it if it was legal. I want that to be known. I would, but I'm not allowed. Yeah. I feel like that's something on the, what a, not a slog, but how much distrust there is for marketing is something you really learn over time. And I remember you were talking earlier about, 2014, you get part odd, and now you've got this great visibility into performance, what's working, what's not working, and you can start to really show the revenue side of, of marketing. How can you tell me about, you know, what that change was like in the organization, what you were able to do once you had more of that, more of that information, and how your role as a marketing leader shifted? You know, I think once I started telling some of those stories, like, hey, did you know that I can see that this person went on this page and hit this and this and this yes. after they sent, then people were like, whoa, this, the questions that I get from our sales team are hilarious. They're like, can you see what I do on other people's websites? I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 don't you worry. I cannot see what you're doing on other people's websites. But may maybe you should scare them and say, actually, yes, I can. And <laughs> I was just going to say. That's not appropriate at work. No, um, you know, I think that that's when I kind of saw a light go off and I'm like, oh, they're going to take me serious now because I've got the numbers. I've, it's, not, it's not just a great story Nicole's out there telling me. Like, I've got numbers. And, you know, one thing that I'm super proud of is that one of the firm's biggest closes came in through our website. And I'm t oh, I, yeah. I am talking huge dollars. And I could tell, like this person completed a form and said, I, you know, I'm representing, I can't tell you the, the client name, but I represent this type of organization and I'm looking at X, Y, and Z. And I could go back and and look and see exactly what product pages this chief compliance officer had had been looking at and you know that was a that was kind of a game changer to be able to say hey this website is not just a a, a well-designed piece of you know media this is actually a lead generator now that i yeah. have these forms on it this is a lead generator and it works all the time it doesn't take weekends or vacations. It's always working. And with automation rules and all sorts of things, I can just keep that whole thing humming. Like that's where I've really seen kind of people take a step back and be like, wow, this is this is different. This is cool. And then it's, you know, uh, when we're asked to speak at World Tour, one of my colleagues was asked to speak at World Tour in December. And I said, you understand, we're we're actually training some of your competitors now on what we're doing. And people are like, oh, I got to start using this more. I got to start putting more of my people in Salesforce. I got to start using that uh, that uh, list that you told me about, Nicole. I got to start getting in front of this stuff. So that adoption has, has really helped because of some of those stories and that that data. Yeah, that the, One of those insights is so critical. And, you know, sometimes you forget you know, those type of like granular stories that you can share with the sales team or whoever it is. Where it's like, hey, 
we had this prospect, they didn't respond to, you know, the, the sales email or whatever, after they downloaded this, uh, whatever lead magnet that we had out there, you know, you sent them four straight emails as a sales rep, they never responded, you know, you think it's a dead lead or whatever, but I'll tell you, they've downloaded like 16 different things, tools that we have out there. They open every single email like they're probably somewhere in their buying journey. They just aren't ready to talk to a human being about it. Or maybe they're the type of buyer who doesn't want to talk to a human being until they make the actual decision. Those type of insights when you can go back to sales with that is, is next level. Yeah, we send out a, a Monday morning sales brief and we in that we we tell our sales team, you know, who's been active on our website. So we give them their contact names and they can click through to a report. And it's funny because it, it always happens. I'll get a phone call from, you know, one of our salespeople in Chicago or wherever. And he's like, you know, I've been calling that guy and he's not calling me back, but I see that he's been going to our website. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, see, he does hear you. He doesn't want to talk to you right now, but he's, he hears what you're saying and he's, he's following his own kind of path to, to learn more. Isn't that, I mean, that is like the ultimate marketing sales conversation is like, I'm going to do this politely, but you're probably being annoying and you should just kind of relax a little bit and like, it'll come, let them figure themselves out a little bit, but you just got to relax. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that in this industry, you know, it's, there used to be cold calling and all this. And now People want to go find that information. They do the research themselves. They're trying to learn more. They're trying to educate themselves. They want to figure out what it is they really need before they they have some kind of formal conversation. So we have to respect that. I have, I have a question. I guess I have a lot of questions, but uh, <laughs> I have a specific question. Uh, I don't like to use the M word, which is millennial, because I think it's kind of a silly contrived thing. But do you find or have you seen anything around young people leveraging these type of journeys in a different way than people who are of, of a different age. Cause my assumption and what we've what we see at admission.org is how it's just a completely different use of content and technology than other folks. I was just curious if you've seen anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, so, you know, some of our, our clients are, much older. They've been invested with us for 20 or 30 years. The way that they engage with our content is is different. I mean, I just had a conversation with a client who doesn't know why his iPhone won't open our emails, you know, and, and I, it might be user error in that case. But I see a lot of people and, you know, I, I'm with you there on the millennials point that they are trying to educate. They want to be informed. And it's not enough to say like, oh, I'm going to hire somebody who's going to do this for me. They want to know what it is that we're going to do. And they want yeah. a good understanding of what they're going to pay for that and what they're going to get in return for that. And and I think that is just all part of the kind of evolution and how we have to constantly, constantly be thinking about what that client or prospect wants, we we have to be everywhere that they are. Everybody looks at me and is like, oh, Nicole's going to come talk to me about digital because that's, you know, I've been talking about part out. I've been talking about Salesforce. I still send handwritten thank you notes. I still do because I know that that's important. And I like to receive a handwritten thank you note. And when we publish something that's a beautiful quality magazine, I want to send that to our client in hard copy so that they can touch the paper and see the images because I know that that's important to them too. I just, we have to be everywhere that they are, right? And so that's constantly what we have to push ourselves to, to step it up. Right. And I love it. It's, it's this very customer-centric approach in thinking that it's this is what our customers want and need and to feel and you know as much as I love digital there is a need for the actual high touch experience and the through the physical in, the physical interactions comes off weird but the, <laughs> you don't want that with your customers but you want the, the don't touch people Lauren Lauren don't touch people <laughs> Jonah, you have to delete this part <laughs> nope leaving that in <laughs> <laughs> but it's the, the need for the online. We need the online and the offline because you can be everywhere at once with digital, but for whether it's a high net worth client or a large purchase on the B2B side, having that 
little bit extra and that better customer experience really does make a difference. Yeah. And I think people still want to work with people, right? I mean, I know robo is hot in our industry and everybody's talking about it. But at the end of the day, if the market starts to go crazy, I want to call somebody and say, what's going on? And do I need to think about doing something different? And I want to talk to Mm -hmm. a real person. And I want to know that a real person's going to take my call. Yeah. And that's like one of those you know, people, we, we talk a lot about, you know, AI and bots, machine learning and all, all, all that stuff. And chatbots are ridiculously helpful for certain things, just like search is super helpful for, for certain things. But the customer success side of things, you know, if you want to know what the stock price is of something and, you know, a bot sends you the stock price of a stock with five other comparisons or something like that, or a push notification based off of your browsing history. Great. How it pertains to your money. You want to talk to a human being and you want that human being to be able to leverage AI and machine learning to be making the decisions, right? Like you want someone to synthesize that information who's using technology to do that, but you don't want to talk directly to the robot. Right, right. You want a, a real accountable person on the other end of that phone. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. <laughs> Do you have a favorite marketing campaign you've ever done? Oh, that was my question. Oh, I don't know. I feel like every year I say, oh, this is my baby. And this is one that, you know, I'm going to, we're going to win awards for, and this is going to be awesome. And then the next year I'm like, oh, that was cool. But this year we're going to do something better. So um, I don't know. I mean, last year we launched this financial planning magazine that was a labor of love. And it was, you know, this amazing print publication and we had a digital component to it. It brought in new business from the digital side. It retained clients and it received thank you notes from our clients from for sending it to them, you know? And so when you deliver a piece to a client or even a prospect who says that was really helpful, thank you, that's amazing. That Right now that would probably be my favorite as a standout, our Prosper magazine. Oh, I think that's awesome and honestly, how many marketing materials get thank you notes? Yeah. We do a lot of fact sheets that don't get any thank yous. You know, people are talking about, you know, getting rid of comments on uh, on like blogs and different sort of stuff because the comments sections get so crazy. But getting thank you cards for a campaign is is just about as good as it gets. It's um actually we had um Nate Skinner on marketing trends recently and one of the things he talked about was marketing should create exceptional experiences. And when you're putting an amazing, useful piece of content together for customers, it's another great example of this is how I'm creating something exceptional. And now I think all of us are going to aspire to do marketing campaigns where someone says, thank you so much for helping me. Right, right. Then it doesn't feel like marketing, right? Like then it's, you're just helping. You're just helping somebody. Do you have a campaign that was one of your worst campaigns or, or something that you were like, man, that that experiment went when awry. Oh yeah, you know, I I am a pretty uh, critical person, always looking kind of to improve that's personally and professionally. It's just a, a character flaw that I blame my parents for. But yeah, definitely things that I'm like we spent way too much time on this and it didn't it didn't succeed. It didn't work. What do we need to do to fix it? Like, do you bail on it? Do you try to tweak it to to make something good of it? You know, when you have a team of people who are frustrated too, because they're putting a lot of time into stuff and then they're just not seeing the results. So, you know, results are great when, when they're positive, but when they're not, it can be kind of a downer. You just have to look at those and think about, okay, what can we learn from this? So we try to look at, look at it from that perspective. But yeah, there's definitely some that stand out in my mind that I'm like, never again. And when you start to see something that you're working on and it is just going awry, what do you do? How do you pull it from falling off the cliff? Yeah, I pull everybody back in. I'm a big like, let's pull the team back together. Let's look at this. Let's dissect it a little bit. What's working? What's not working? Why isn't it working? What can we do? Can we pause this right now? Can we tweak this, modify it? What was our goal? Like, what was our original goal? Let's go back to that and think about, did we lose our way? Did we get, was there scope creep here? Did we try to add on too many things and kind of, you know, lose our focus? That's that's generally my approach. And, and I try to go back to like, what was our original intention? 
did you want to say that more? No, I was I was going to violently agree with the whenever something goes off the rails or whenever someone <laughs> starts talking, it's what are we trying to accomplish? Mm. What were our goals here? Let's start over. Okay, so um, I want to do lightning round. This scares me. Lightning round scares me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's the best part. These questions are fast and easy, just like B2B marketing with Pardot, right? So <laughs> thanks to our friends at Pardot who are sponsoring the lightning round forever and always, our good friends. Are you ready for the questions? Let's go. Lightning fast questions and answers. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? I still, I, I have two little girls. They are fascinated by the Boomerang app. So we mess around with that all the time. There's another one, the Just Dance app. We have a lot of dance parties at my house. And so that's another one that we use, but they're not really work related, but those are the two apps that I mess around with the most. I, I feel like I need to download this app <laughs> because who doesn't need a spontaneous dance party in their lives? Yeah, two little girls. They, we have a lot of dance parties. All right, next up. What is your favorite book that you've read recently? The Universe Has Your Back. Have you ever read that book? No. Same book. I've heard of it. It's a good, it's a good book. I read it um, during kind of that that week between Christmas and New Year. And it was just one of those things that I, I needed at that point. And it was a good reminder, like the world is not out to get you. You need to have some trust and some confidence and things that you're you're doing and and trust that things are gonna work out. And I've I've gone back to that book a few different times and said, like, okay, don't sweat this. Everything's gonna everything's gonna work out the way it's supposed to work out. Do you have a favorite follow on social media? So this is kind of geeky and I'm sorry. I am also a Pilates instructor. Oh, nice. Amazing. So I follow a bunch of different Pilates instructors to try to steal some of their moves on Instagram. So, you know, they're they're showing different things that they do because some of the routine, you know, classical Pilates gets kind of boring. So there's a couple out there on Instagram that I'm, I'm kind of looking at to get some competitive uh, intelligence. How can I up my game in Pilates? And I can imagine that, you know, you've got tons and tons of, of free time as CMO. Totally, <laughs> totally. A mom, CMO, right? You Pilates instructor, just throw it all in there, right? No big deal. No yeah. big deal. Just roll with it. That's how. That's why I need that book, Universe Is Your Back. Because sometimes I'm like, what have I done to myself? Do you have a favorite one day getaway up in Rochester. So there's this fabulous spot in Skinny Atlas. It's a, it's one of the Finger Lakes, Skinny Atlas Lake. I know Skinny Atlas. Do you? So Merbeau, Merbeau spot. It's perfect. It's about an hour and 15 minute drive from us. It's in this cute little town, Skinny Atlas. Lots of cute shops and good food. And it's just, it's a nice little getaway. Even when it's snowing at school. Okay, final question. What thing are you most excited about for the future of marketing? I really am excited about this. This is another thing from my kids, voice. And what is that going to really do? You know, I, my oldest daughter is 10 and she doesn't text. She uses voice for everything. And, you know, I was at Dreamforce this last year and we were talking about, you know, what voice is going to do and how, Salesforce is really like looking at all of this and part of and like the thought that I could pull a report someday by just speaking words <laughs> sounds awesome to me. And uh, I really I can see it now. I mean, my kid's expectation is like she speaks into the phone. It sends a text. She doesn't have to. She's telling me she doesn't have to learn how to spell. I don't have to learn how to spell, mom. I just talk into my phone. I'm like, no, no, you actually do learn. You need to learn how to spell, honey. So, but I think voice is, is incredible. I think it's going to be another one of those kind of game changers for us. And what's it going to really ultimately deliver? If you don't need to know how to spell in the future. Well, so, okay. I, I want to, oh man, I, this isn't very lightning-y. I do have to say I have horrific handwriting, like about as bad as it could possibly get. And I got C's all in like penmanship in, in grade school. 
Everyone said that that was going to be really bad. Guess what? Never comes up. <laughs> Never has once come up in business, except for when I write on the whiteboard and all of our employees are like, what is, what is that thing that you have? Is that like a drawing? Is that hieroglyphics? But she could be right. We don't know. She could be right. Yeah. I mean, you, I go back to PR, right? So I tell everybody who I come in contact with, you need to, you need to be a strong writer. You need to understand yes. how to write. And communicate, right? And spelling. I, I told her, I'm like, she's 10. I said, somebody's going to judge you because you misspelled there mm-hmm. the, improperly, right? And so you need to understand that there's certain things that your phone, your text, whatever, won't won't pick up because it is spelled properly. It's just not in the right context. And so somebody will look at that and think that you don't know how to spell if, if, if you're, you're sending something out. And that's not uh, something I want for her. So she's going to learn how to spell. I, I think spelling and then understanding the, you know, there versus there, here versus here, just good, good general, general things to know, general skills to have. You know, when we get into the grammar part of the podcast, I feel like we're losing our audience a little bit. Um, <laughs> but there's probably so many people that are like screaming into their, into their cars or at the gym and they're like, you need to know how to spell. All I'm saying, shout out to Chad Grills, our CEO, amazing writer, not that great of a speller. And he's the first <laughs> to admit it. Okay. Actually, I have one more question. Fill in the final word of this sentence. Marketing should be blank. Marketing should be ever evolving. I love it. Such great answers. Yeah, that's it. That's all we got. That's marketing transfer today. Any uh, any final words? Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. It's been fun having you and we will monitor your continued success. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.